The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned.
Even as we sing of the wonders of his love and the joy that we experience in Christ, we are mindful that the world is not as it is, should be. War exists. There's brokenness in our homes and in our families. And there's even, maybe even, warring in our very own hearts. Mindful of the sin and brokenness in this world and in each of us, let us confess to God uh, with the words on the screen. Let's pray together. It is Advent, the season in which we prepare our hearts to welcome Christ, who is the bringer of all peace. We confess the ways in which we block the peace of Christ in our lives. God of peace, hear our prayer. The rushing and scurrying to get things done, the worry about the little details. We confess to you, O God of peace. The final financial burdens we put ourselves, put on ourselves, the impatience and irritability we feel and then take out on each other. We confess to you, O God of peace, the bickering and the quarreling we get into because we are too busy. We confess to you, O God of peace, though we make ourselves less than peaceful at this time of year. Your peace is always there for us. Instill within us your peace, O God. When we feel overwhelmed, when we are filled with worry, when we become irritable, instill within us your peace, O God. When the guilt of our ways threatens to overcome us, help us to remember that we are forgiven in Christ. Instill within us your peace, O God. Certainly, instill within us your peace, O God. And help us to make choices that bring us closer to you. Help us to be more peaceful so that we may spread Christ's peace and love to one another. Amen. Let us live in the peace of Christ.
from the book that we love, from the prophet Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it 
with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Stand and let's continue to worship in raising our voices to the one who will reign and rule forever.
Whether you are worshiping with us in person or online, we are glad that we can worship together this morning. My name is Nate Skipper, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. One of the ways in which we uh, are an accepting community, maybe this is, uh, is that we welcome folks back. Uh, college students, if you are here this morning, whether you are in person or online, we are glad you're here. Do you mind? Can you be brave and just stand up so we can say, we're glad you're here? Come on. Some of you, I know there's, there's a few of you, college or welcome home type people. Come on. Good to have you back with us, and if you are similarly, if you are a guest or if you are visiting with us, we are equally as excited, even though we don't know you yet, Um, and if you would like to make yourself known to us, there are connection cards at the back of the sanctuary by the offering uh, bowls uh, that you can fill out and let us know that you are worshiping with us this morning. Ah, Man, it has been a crazy week, hasn't it? You know, I'm just looking for a little downtime. Maybe, Jess... You want to hang out Friday night? I mean, I wondered if the Mix family and the Skipper family, we could just chill for a little while, you know? We don't have to go to worship the next morning, you know? We can, you know, yeah. you know, really enjoy I, a Friday night. I have a few things going on on Friday. Friday night you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can still hang out if you want. Well, we could? Gonna to, it's going to have to be here. It's going to be here. Yeah, I, I got to be here. Oh, we have some it's, services. It's, it's Christmas Eve, Nate. Oh, Christmas Eve, yes. Oh, that's right. Of course. Duh, I know that. 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and 11 o'clock. If you haven't seen the memo yet, we'd love to have you join us on Christmas Eve where we will uh, officially maybe welcome and celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus uh, here on uh, Fellowship Church on that Christmas Eve. In light of those three bonus services that we have together, we're going to have just one service on December 26th. It's the next Sunday, a week from today. So uh, join us then or on January 2nd. Uh, Both of those service days, we'll have one service at 9.30 in the morning. One of the cool things that we get to do uh, as a part of a a community here is that we get to share our gifts, whether that be in uh, the gifts that we give financially to support the ministry that God is doing through Fellowship Church, or the gifts of our sweet guitar playing skills that we're going to get to hear this morning. Buckle your seatbelts, as I said in the first service, because this is good stuff.
Well, come on. Isn't that great? Thank you. Thank you. And really, I'd even like to take pause and do that intentionally together and say thank you to God, capital Y. Thank you for all the stuff that's been going on in our midst. Think about this morning alone or even the four Sundays we've had in Advent. We have had actors and actresses on stage. We've had dancers. We've had greeters and coffee makers. We'd have have had musicians, and I think every single instrument under the sun is possibly on the stage right now. Even the timpani over there, a tiny guitar that makes bass notes right there. This is super cool. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I had the opportunity to go uh, to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra rock concert in Grand Rapids, and it was a blast. As you can imagine, there's laser light shows, there's pyrotechnics, face-melting guitar solos. I mean, it's the thing. And we are not that here, intentionally so. That's a performance. We are a congregation. And today alone, a whole host of people have been involved up here and out there, including all of you worshiping together. Thanks be to God. And I want to say especially thanks be to God for Jess and her incredible quarterbacking skills of all of these things, for her good work, working her tail off. She's a gift to us. And even last week, Pastor Nate, I'm thinking, he hit the cover off the ball with his sermon on the everlasting Father. It is a message about... uh, belonging, of relationships, of family. That's what that is about. And who better to deliver it than Pastor Nate, whom we all love really dearly, and he loves us well. And to begin to wonder about what if God loves us even better than Pastor Nate Skipper does is a cool thing, right? I mean, we can relate to that. So thanks be to God. (laughs) You betcha. You betcha. Even this past Wednesday night, we had our kids' program here in this place. They told the Christmas story in costume. It was a night of honoring God and laughing together. So much good. And week after week, we gather in this place, founding members alongside new attenders, and we find something of God here. And thanks be to God for that. It is beyond us how cool that we get to be a part of it. Thanks be to God. Okay. I heard it said this week that uh, these titles offered of the child in Isaiah chapter 9 seem a little bit like uh, an ancient version of modern campaign slogans. And this took me on a little bit of a rabbit trail that I'm going to take you on as well. We know some of these things really well from past presidential candidates. I'll quiz you. Who said this? Honest old Abe. Abe Lincoln. That's the gimme. That's the get. Uh, in 1860, it was Abe Lincoln. Next up, we have America First. Whose campaign was that? Warren G. Harding. 1920. That's what that one was. A chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Some of you might remember that one. Herbert Hoover. Going all the way back, 1928. Next up, we had. We can do better. Who was that? John F. Kennedy. Stumped you on that one. John F. Kennedy, 1960. After that, we had this phrase, this time, vote like your whole world depends on it. Anybody remember? 
Richard Nixon in 1968. Then, skipping ahead a little bit, we had a question. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Reagan, that was identified. There you go. Ronald Reagan, 1980. We had another one, putting people first. Anybody know it? Bill Clinton, 1992. Then there was a reformer with results. Anybody? George W., and that is not his picture. It was <laughs> just too much fun. <laughs> Up next was Yes, We Can. Yes, We Can. Who was that? Barack Obama, I hear you saying, very good. Then up we had Stick It to the Man by Voting for a Woman. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. And last but not least, Feel the Burn. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, in all of these slogans, I think you get the idea. Eventually, the big question for all of us is, can they deliver? Will they be the person and do the thing that they promise that they will be or do? Was Abe honest? Did Hoover deliver a car to every garage? Did Clinton put people first? Is America great yet? We wonder these things. And to be clear, the Isaiah description of this promised child, it's not a campaign slogan. It's a prophecy. And yet, it also still puts before us a similar kind of hope. Like a campaign slogan, our Advent text is hoping for change. Change that is real. Change that is good. Change that is lasting. And the great promise or the great witness of Christian tradition throughout the last 2,000 years is that no matter how dark life gets in this world, the Christmas child brings light. So let's review. We've been lighting these candles. What does this first lamppost light represent? Wonderful counselor, right? As in, he's not a fool. He's a giver of good advice. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And his counsel is wonderful. How about this one? Mighty God, as in he's not wimpy. He is able to do that which he sets out to do. He is mighty to save. And he came to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. How about this next one? Everlasting Father, as in not an absent parent, right? He is relationally present. Our adoption is permanent. He is the Father of eternity. Last but not least, Prince of Peace, our subject matter for today. Not a dictator, or as the New Testament will say of him, he is our peace. Today I'd like to unpack that fourth lamppost light with you according to our standard format. First the feeling, then the name, then the twist, and then the promise. Let's start with the feeling. One of my defense mechanisms, maybe one of yours too, one of the shields that I hold up in life to project that I'm okay when I'm not okay is cynicism. Like those campaign slogans that we just reviewed, and especially when it comes to peace anywhere and everywhere, the cynic in me says, 
I'll believe it when I see it. I grew up with a card game, and I wonder if you played it too. The game is called BS. In my house, that was bologna sandwich, just for the record, okay? Bologna sandwich. It's a game of bluffing using a normal deck of cards, and you'd lay down two aces or four fours or three jacks, and you either had it or you didn't, and your opponents would then call BS. They'd seek to call your bluff, bologna sandwich, and then you'd flip over the cards and prove them right or wrong. Well, if I'm honest, sometimes the cynic in me wants to call BS on this promise of peace. You ever feel that way too? I mean, consider how we live in a world at war. Some people have actually studied this and looked into a 3,400-year record of recorded history and found, this is the chart for it, we have been at war 92% of the time, and that includes only the recorded wars, not the ones that would have been not recorded. Not a good statistic. If you think, you know, some of that's probably just because we used to fight a lot, but maybe not anymore, if you narrow in more specifically on the United States alone, since our Declaration of Independence, 1776, how much have we been at war? 93% of the time, just a tick worse. Right? The next slide shows the global peace index for the year 2021. This year, right now, you can see green is good in this one. So, yay for Canada and Australia and Iceland. Good for them. Not great for the rest of the world where there are varying degrees of conflict going on. And this bottom corner stat over here is the degree of change of how much peace has been gained or lost, and it's 0.07%. It seems to be that we're pretty steady in the middle. So if world peace is the plan and the hope, the cynic in me says, BS, bologna sandwich. I'll believe it when I see it. Consider also how we live on a planet that is in crisis. These headlines are all around us. One that came my way just this week from the Washington Post was this one. Climate change has destabilized the poles, imperiling the planet. Now, some may say, that's too alarmist. Okay, then consider just this next photo of something that we know exists in our world, even though we kind of pretend that it doesn't, it's there. These are simply modern examples of the ancient biblical truth, Romans chapter 8, which says that the earth is groaning. Creation is longing for redemption. All is not well on our planet. And so if earth flourishing is the plan and the promise, I wouldn't blame you. If you said, B.S., bologna sandwich, I'll believe it when I see it. Consider one more angle, how even our own inner well-being is not flourishing. There's all kinds of ways to represent this. One graph here shows what's going on for our next youngest generation, what's promised to be the most connected generation ever, and yet the connections aren't working, you can see it's rising all the more that they are feeling more and more lonely. This is one of multiple graphs that tell a similar story that mental unhealth is actually on the rise. 
And there's a whole second wave going on that we know from the pandemic that we're in. Right here, this is showing in the United States how there has been a spike in anxiety and in depression among us. And this is not exclusive to the United States. There are other charts that show how it's true in Japan and Mexico and Sweden and all the other places too. So if inner peace is the promise and the plan, then the hurting ones everywhere still might say, BS, I'll believe it when I see it. Each one of these examples, plus whatever else you might add to the list personally, are evidence, examples of our world, of our world's need for something different. What is, isn't working. And the question is, can this promised child deliver? For help, let's turn to the name. The name of this fourth lamppost light, the, the fourth name given to the promised child of Isaiah 9 is Prince of Peace. And in Hebrew, it's another word merge, like all the others. And this time it's Sar Shalom. Read it from the right to the left. Sar Shalom. The first word, Sar, means prince or organizer or leader, ruler, chief, captain something of that sort. Examples that we encounter in the scriptures include Joseph, the guy with the colorful coat who ends up in Egypt. He bumps into some interesting characters called the chief jailer, the chief butler, and the chief baker. Each one of these is a sar. They are leader types. In the book of Daniel, God Almighty is described as the prince of princes, the sar sarim, which is a way of saying the chief of chiefs. And in the book of Ezra, where they're listing off all kinds of priestly duties, there's 12 lead priests. Each one is, again, a sar. They are leaders of leaders. That's what this word kind of means, sar. The second word is shalom. This is one of the Bible's best words. I hope you already know it. And if you don't, I'm happy to tell you, this is a word that means so much more than simply not fighting. It is peace in hearts and in homes, in neighborhoods and among nations. It means well-being. It means prosperity. It means wholeness. It means all things integrated as they belong. If you take these two words together, then you have the Sar Shalom, which means that there is this one who is our peace, and he is the leader of leaders who do the things that make for peace in the world. Pretty cool. There's a movie from the year 1991 called Grand Canyon. I don't expect you to have seen it. It's a movie that stars Steve Martin and Danny Glover, if those names are familiar. One of the opening scenes is of an immigration lawyer in Los Angeles who's worked a long day in the office and is heading home for the night. And there's traffic, of course, and so he looks to take an alternate route, skipping the highways and going through the back streets. It gets darker and darker and darker, and he gets deeper and deeper and deeper into the nether regions of the city. And in a classic Hollywood kind of way, there comes a moment at just the most unfortunate of places, his car breaks down. He calls for a tow, but it doesn't take long for the neighborhood toughs to show up. 
Soon, he's surrounded in his car, and these toughs are shouting out escalating threats of violence, vandalism, and theft. After all, he is now on their turf, and there is a tax to be paid here. Well, at perhaps just the right time, the tow truck driver shows up and starts to just do his job. Danny Glover begins to hook up the car. But of course, the, the, the toughs protest. He's interrupting their meal. And so the tow truck driver turns to the lead tough, pulls him aside a little bit, and in that very moment, on the dark streets of Los Angeles, he offers to this younger one a five-sentence lesson in metaphysics. He says this, Man, things are not supposed to be this way. Maybe you don't know that, but this is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude over there, he's supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping him off or roughing him up. Everything is supposed to be different than the way it is here, he says. That, friends, is a description of a world absent of shalom. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It might just be the way your life feels right now. And yet, the Prince of Peace is promised and has come. So why isn't the world all that different yet? That brings us to the twist. And if I'm honest, this has been really twisty for me this week. I've considered, I've struggled a lot with this particular part of the message because I know that it's not a very peaceable world for many of us right now. I actually went out this week and laid at, the, at Tunnel Park on the bench on the end. I laid down on a cold night. It was clear, and I laid underneath the stars. And I asked God of this sar Shalom. When and how? I've since considered sharing with you this morning a series of anecdotal stories, real stories, stories that I've heard from some of you even this week, as fresh as even this morning, stories of how in the midst of troubling times you find a peace that passes understanding something that could only come from this Prince of Peace, or how sometimes in the world that's swirling like a hurricane, you have this time where it feels like you're at the eye, at the calm center of it. These are true, and these are good experiences. I considered also sharing with you a series of Christian platitudes, biblical proof texts about what is and what should be in a really kind of should-y kind of way for us this morning. But honestly, what does that do but produce guilt in us for not feeling quite like we should? I considered also inviting you with me into a time of lament, a biblical way of crying out to God and saying, How long? How long until this is actually different for us and for others? There's no shortage of psalms that would help us to do that and to do it well. But on that night, out underneath the stars, what came to mind for me was the idea of resilience. Resilience. And the very words of Jesus, who said to his disciples, at a troubled time, he said to them, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. 
He said this to them so that they might have peace. Not erasing the trouble, but offering peace in the midst of it. It's something to do with resilience, at least in this time here and now. Some experts have done some research into what this resilience exactly is for us. Resilience being a word that simply means the ability to be stretched and to return to form, like a rubber band that doesn't break, or the ability to experience peace in a world that's not very peaceable. They named 40 assets, these experts who study it, 40 different categories that if they are present in our life, we are more likely to be experiencing something that is shalom-like, and if they are lacking in our life, we are more likely to experience things the way that they are not supposed to be, if you will. These are the things that these assets are the ones that keep kids from becoming street toughs and the things that help us to experience peace in the world. They put it into two categories, 20 on each side. I've summarized them for you. On this side, we have the internal things that are named, an awakened mind, a soft heart, honesty and responsibility, awareness of others, a moral compass, a life of identity and purpose. These things you might recognize as the kinds of things that we as Christians would say can only come from the Prince of Peace. He must do it. It is a gift of grace, and it creates something new in us from the inside out. On this side, however, there's a whole other 20 category, and they name off the things like family support and other people who love us, caring schools and neighborhoods, positive opportunities for involvement like church and sports and stuff like that, boundaries and expectations, safety and stability, you can see that on this side, these are the things that actually we humans do, that this Sar Shalom, the leader of leaders who do the things that make for peace, we do these things, and we are invited to make this kind of stuff. It seems to me that we live in a world, and forgive me for the, uh, for the oversimplification here, but We live in a world today where we're divided, where some of us are quick to say it's all and only about this. It's about inner peace. Forget about that. And there are others who say it's only about social reform. Let's go and do the things, doubting that this can happen. But the twist that I see in the text today, the great hope, if you will, of this Prince of Peace is that he is our peace and he is the Sar Shalom. He is the one who leads others, including us, to do the things that make for peace in the world. It's not only about inner peace, where me and Jesus are doing great, but the rest of the world is not. It's not only about doing good in the world and ignoring the insides, the depths of me. It's both. The Sar Shalom is the leader of leaders. He is our peace, and he leads us to be peacemakers in the world. There are things that only he can do, and he does them because he is also mighty God. How wonderful. And part of the program is that he wants our participation. So Jesus, from the very start, called disciples and invited them to be and to do just like he does. Which brings us to the promise. And this, I think, is something that you can hang your hat on. This is something you can take to the bank. When the text says that this promised child is the prince of peace, what it means, I think, quite simply, is that where the prince reigns, peace develops. 
where the Tsar rules, shalom surges. It's basic kingdom theology, really, and the reason we don't experience too much of it just yet in our world is because there are other kingdoms still in this world, and those kingdoms have our allegiances. If and when peace is lacking in this world, in our hearts, it's possibly because we're still caught in the dreams and the schemes and the claws of alternate kingdoms. But the announcement is that the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdoms of this world. The promise of this fourth lamplight is that what once was in the very beginning, shalom, and what will be in the very end, shalom, is available to us now through the Prince of Peace. And the promise is simply this. Where the Prince reigns, peace develops. Where the Tsar rules, shalom surges in hearts and in homes, in neighborhoods and in nations. We've called this Advent journey that we're on right now, we've called it Tuning Into Christmas. And we're going to sing a song right now that helps us do our heart tuning, if you will. There's a lyric in the song we're about to sing that says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. To that end, we say with Advent hope, come Lord Jesus, our world belongs to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing those words together? <laughs> Yeah. 
Friends, this is the good news of the day. The Prince of Peace has come. And where the Prince reigns, peace develops. As you go from this place to live that way, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.